This is Becky Gannon, and I'm mad about miniatures. As Halloween approaches, my thoughts have been turning to all things spooky. I've fallen in love with the detail, imagination, and execution of Lauren at Southern Gothic Dollhouse. Her haunting and hauntingly beautiful dollhouse is sure to inspire you this Halloween season. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear, not a ghost, but Pickles, Lauren's beloved pug. Let's get started. Hi, Lauren. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited, and this is a good season to have you with Halloween coming up. That's right. (laughs) Spooky season is upon us. It is. So, Southern Gothic Dollhouse is very spooky, kind of scary, a little creepy. What inspired you to do Southern Gothic? You know, whenever I tackle uh, themed projects like this, I kind of go through and and think about what what am I drawn to? So I'm originally from Austin, Texas. I live in San Francisco now. And I found, although I came out here for lots of reasons, the weather being a really big reason, I feel like I've escaped in some respects, but others, I, I miss it. The quality of spook around Southern Gothic is is really interesting. It's connected to a lot of current events that I am very passionate about. There's a nuance to it that I feel a lot of folks coming from the South have a pretty good grip on, and it's something I I really enjoy sharing with people. It's been an interesting genre to explore. It is, and I think if you're not from the South, it's something that people aren't, you know, it's like, I kind of know what it is, I know it when I see it. Yeah, I started digging into like, what is it about the genre and trying to put a finger on it? I found it's actually very difficult. It is. Because it's very emotional. It's a romantic genre. And romance is very much connected to emotion. And emotion is connected to, you know, just being there, that experience and those connections that you make to those things. So it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm finding, you know, talking with people about what their perception of it is. I think that's true. Now, was this your first miniature house? Yes. Yeah, it was actually. You were a pandemic baby like me that got into the miniatures because you were looking for something inside to do. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. I have a history of putting on these really elaborate Halloween parties Getting into this, I I realized that doing all the decorating that I do for it, which I'll do months in advance, (laughs) anybody that's like me who's like really into Halloween, you got to start pretty early. And then I would have my party and then it would be like over. I look around me and it's like done, done, it's over. (laughs) So a dollhouse, I'm finding it like it scratches the same itch where I can make all these props and do a theme, but there's no tearing it down after. And I quite like that. I like that too. I, in my neighborhood, am considered the queen of Halloween. And I feel certain that you are the queen of Halloween, probably not just in your neighborhood, but maybe the whole county or the state. (laughs) I don't know about that. I mean, I do live in San Francisco. There are a lot of creatives out here, but amongst my friends, we'll say, yes, definitely amongst my friends. As I'm in San Francisco, everyone's on top of each other. A couple years back, my last Halloween party I was doing, which was like an 80s slasher camp, like a little like sleepaway camp. Good theme. I was making all of these props in the backyard and my neighbor stuck her hat, head out and was like, hey, just wanted to make sure you're not a serial killer, right? Because I got all these like bloody, bloody bits and stuff in the backyard and I left those up for a while. I think she was a little bit concerned. It does make you wonder, like, if the police had come for a noise complaint, what would their response have been? I know, right? 
blood and guts in my neighbor's backyard help yeah well i know and i just started thinking i want to do another halloween party so i've got to come up with a good theme for it this year what themes are you thinking of you know it's hard because first thought about the apocalypse now i'm thinking it's too on the nose (laughs) zombie crawls are really big before the pandemic but i kind of feel like zombies are over zombies are over don't you think are they passe i've never really been into zombies myself I did have a zombie-ish party, but a little bit flipped around. So I kind of based it off of this walker that I saw at a Goodwill. And I was like, I'll be like an old, old lady zombie who just was really in the Barbra Streisand. And I covered all of my furniture in plastic, like old women tend to do, and splattered blood all over it. And then I, <laughs> I framed a bunch of brains and stuff, still very old woman styles. I think that you can take any theme and kind of spruce it up and make it fun. Now, you kind of have a background in theater, right? Like sets, makeup? I do, yeah. I started off at Texas Christian University, and I transferred to UT Austin after a couple years. But those first two years I was at TCU, I was really into the idea of being a stage manager and a set designer until, you know, I looked at the trajectory, and it's really difficult to be an actor. (laughs) And it's even more difficult, I think, to be a, a stage manager because there's only one per show. But I was really into it. I loved it. I had some really great mentors. I was a paint grant, so I ran the the paint studio, and I learned a lot of really great techniques. I didn't think I would ever use it again. I was so sad when I changed my major, but I'm finding I'm, I'm using all of it. I learned how to you know, make blueprints, which is very helpful for a dollhouse, even if you're building it from kit, just to make sure that you have the drafting, especially if you're doing like built-ins and things, having that drafting know-how, yeah, and a little bit of that construction and knowing how to make wood grain with paint, and I can match paint to um, any color I could match by eye. It was really, really helpful in designing this, I found. I see that in your work. It does remind me of a theater. Well, thank you. I really like following set designers. I mean, there's a really interesting crossover with dollhouse makers and set designers because set designers, if you're making a room of, of a house, it can't be hyper-realistic. It needs to somehow like be kind of a caricature of itself so the audience knows where to look. Some things might be bigger than they would be in real life. And so that caricature tells a story itself. I think that this the set is a character in a lot of these plays. And they're really creative. Sometimes I just look at these things and I'm like, wow, how did they come up with that? That's a really good tip. I follow a lot of interior designers, you know, for some of those ideas to see kind of what's in and get ideas. But I don't really follow a lot of set designers. Listeners, let's all do that together. Yeah, I highly recommend it. They're really exceptionally creative. And they make a lot of models, right? Because you need to make a model of the set before you, you make the big version. Lighting is also very important. Lighting brings focus to some of the things that you want to show off. Mm-hmm. But something that's also really interesting and, and some a skill that is a really clever one to, to have is when you go onto the stage, the stage is a lot smaller than you think it would be, right? Like when you're in the audience, if you're watching like Lion King, for example, really excellent set design. But then you like go onto the stage and it's really tiny. And when you have a dollhouse, these rooms are really small. And it's like, how do I fit all this stuff in here, you know? They are very small. Yeah, theater, I've actually done a lot with theater behind the scenes and oh, cool. in different in different areas. And, and yes, a set is very small and it has to fit a couple different things. And sometimes it has a couple different rooms in it. And it's very important where the doors go and all of that. 
So I'm just going to leap into the last thing I saw on your Instagram. You made a baby tooth chandelier. I sure did. (laughs) That was wild. I've never done anything like that before. I have like zero experience with jewelry making, but I feel like I feel like I just took a crash course in, in jewelry making. The surprise to me is it's hen's teeth, baby teeth, and pearls. It's prettier than I expected. Thank you. I appreciate that. When I read that you were going to do it, I was a little bit like, ooh. I think a lot of people were. I've gotten that. I've gotten lots of messages <laughs> like, I did not know what to expect with this. I was expecting something very garish. I'm really proud of myself with it, actually. When you put something in an object like teeth, the challenge is making it still look beautiful. It almost looks like pearls or some kind of coral. Yeah. My goal was when when I was making it, I wanted, imagining like someone being across the room and seeing it and going over to it and be like, that's really interesting. It's really beautiful. It's all gold, lots of, you know, what looks like to be pearls. And then you look closer, that's when you see the teeth. So you don't notice the teeth until you look really close. I think that's kind of the theme of your dollhouse. The closer you look. You know, one of the reasons I think yours is so scary, I was trying to figure out why yours is scarier to me than others. And I think it's because there's a lot to think about. I look and I try to figure it out. It's like a puzzle. And then the more I try to explain it to myself, the scarier the story I tell in my brain. That is a huge compliment. Thank you so much, Becky. That is so sweet. I really appreciate that. It is true. And then just that horror of, you know, oh, it's a pretty chandelier. Oh my God, it's teeth. <laughs> you know? That's what I really love about miniatures is when you look really closely at them and the details that some people have taken. That's, I think, where the magic is. Oh, yes. God is in the details. So I have to ask you, where did you get your teeth? Oh, sure. Yeah. There's a woman named Amanda Palmer who I just adore. She's married to Neil Gaiman. And she was in the Dresden Dolls uh, a while back. And she, so she's a performer. She's fantastic. And I watched this TED Talk of hers that I highly recommend. I can send you the link after this if you want to share with everybody. Yeah. I think it was called The Art of Asking. And she used to be a busker, right? Like she'd be on the, on the street and she would perform and people would give her money. She learned from doing that of putting herself out there and just asking in, in return for the art that she was giving that people could support her in doing that. And she pulled that into her work as a now very successful musician. And her the takeaway is be vulnerable and just ask and give your art freely and vulnerably. And the relationship that you can make with people can be really beautiful and people will want to support you because you have that connection. I've developed this really beautiful connection with so many people with this dollhouse, which is been a delightful surprise to me and so I just asked you know I just asked uh, people on Instagram if they would be interested and willing to um, give me their baby teeth for this art piece it was really touching how many people believed in me and in, in the art that I do enough to trust me with them so I just asked no that is a lot less creepy than getting them at auction yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I actually I've gotten wisdom teeth from Etsy before. That was the first my first go with teeth. <laughs> I have those in my flooring in my bathroom, but this is a different thing. You can't find baby teeth online. You just can't. There's probably a good reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Now I don't want to give too much away, but there's definitely a an influence from sharp objects in your house from the book. Yeah. 
Are there other books that influence the design or the decor? Yeah, there sure is. So this project, I've read some Southern Gothic, but I wouldn't call myself, you know, an expert by any means. So the project is me also giving myself focused to my, you know, my my book list, right? So I'm still reading as I go and and pulling stuff that I like into the house. But what exists so far, um, some books that I've read over the years and recently that have a really big influence um, are uh, A Rose for Emily, which I would say is the biggest influence of the house. And The Yellow Wallpaper, which isn't particularly Southern Gothic, but a theme that I have in my house is, you know, the idea of uh, freedom and entrapment, right? What does that What does that mean, and especially for women? Like, what is the domestic space? And the horror of being trapped in a house, but also feeling the agoraphobia of, of domesticity of the time. That's interesting. For me, I think that'd have to be in the laundry room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe now I'd need to make like a haunted laundry room where the clothes come up and yeah. guilt me yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that for sure, for sure. I was not a huge watcher of Oprah, but I, I watched her once and I remember her saying something like, the house speaks to women in a way it doesn't speak to men. Huh. And what she meant by that is, and this is true, you come in and you're like, oh, I need to unload the dishes. Oh, I see over there there's a little puddle. Oh, you know, I gotta, and you see all these things and you think I have to do them. Where most men, they come in and the house does not call out to them in that same way. I really feel that that is a learned thing from society. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. It's a conversation. My husband is an absolute doll. He's a feminist. And we have these conversations all the time. And he, I love that he's willing to sit with me and, and unpack all of the things that for many generations have brought us to where we are in our partner dynamic. Oftentimes, you know, men in heteronormative relationships, they don't see it don't see the the things that need to be done. It's a, it's something you have to learn. When I think of being trapped in domesticity, you know, women, traditionally, um, the house is kind of like, a, it's almost, it's a ball and chain, but it's also pride and joy. Yeah, exactly. And there are books like Fried Green Tomatoes, where like the kitchen, for example, is, is something I've been really exploring in particular, right? Because the kitchen is a place it's like a woman's place, quote, quote, woman's place. But it's also a place, you know, in this book where it gives them freedom because they um, started a little restaurant based on their knowledge of, of cooking. And yeah, it's really interesting to look through all of that and to really un- like peel the layers of that onion. We, as women, have a very unique relationship to the home. That's good. So one of the reasons I haven't made a haunted house yet You know, I don't want each room to be a caricature. I want each room to be special. And I think you've really accomplished that. You know, you didn't just put spider webs over everything and call it a day. Thank you. It is a huge challenge. Um, And when I think about the art that I'm doing, you know, I'm basing a lot of what what I'm making off of, um, you know, this literature and also kind of just general themes. But I think a big part of the art as well and what what it's become, like with social media, is like a real-time thing right so there's going to be an artifact at the end of all of this that hopefully we'll be able to tell an interesting story but the really interesting piece of the artwork that I'm doing is like in the real time of exploring these topics with people and learning from people um, and sharing the things that I've learned and you know learning from other people and then building something based off of the things that we discuss. Well, that sounds really worthwhile. Like that'll really be something. 
it feels very fulfilling for me at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. Now, I know that we t- we had talked before and you had said you have a house on the Cape and you're going to make it into your real life mystery puzzle. <laughs> I do. Yes, we do. I'm so excited about that. So we bought this house uh, in Old Yarmouth Port. And so my husband's family has been out in the Cape for, I think, like 50, 60 years. So I had never been to the Cape before. Like I mentioned, I I grew up in Texas. I'm now out in California. Um, I've always been really drawn to the East Coast, you know, because it has its own own brand of spooky. Cape Cod, you're going to need a sea captain in there somewhere and a candle in the window. So now eventually you're going to rent this house out. And is there going to be a dollhouse hidden somewhere? Is that the... That's right. So this house, it's, I think, like 150 years old, which I guess is not that old compared to a lot of other places out there. But so this house needs a lot of TLC. We are kind of stripping it and bringing it back to life. But of course, you know, I am very much into the antique aesthetic, which is why we bought it. So we're trying to restore it to its original glory. But as we're building it back up, I was thinking it would be so fun thinking like, you know, we can't live there full time. Unfortunately, I would love to. We would love to rent it out short term for folks. And I'm an experienced designer. I'm a product designer. I really enjoy thinking through like, how can we make people stay, you know, not just memorable, but really interesting. And I'm really into these escape games, which I haven't done since the pandemic, but I just love these like little riddle based rooms that you can go through that tell a story. And so I just love the idea of making something kind of like that, a little bit more subtle that people can do without me watching them through a camera like you would. <laughs> right? That would be too creepy. We're creating like a little children's wing. And I think about, you know, when I was a kid and I was doing my summer vacations places, like how it can be kind of boring if you're there for a while. So how can we make it fun for kids and adults who are into this stuff? I'm building some secret rooms and secret compartments and... I'm designing a a, a whole game that people can solve all these puzzles that will connect them with the area's history. So I'm getting to learn a lot about Cape Cod history and the spooky bits that I love so much and building it into the house. And then ultimately, I would really like to make probably a, a haunted lighthouse miniature that I'll be hiding in one of the rooms so people can see it. Maybe you should do something like in Scooby Doo, you know, the picture swings out. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Or with like the little eyes. I've always wanted to see what that would be like. <laughs> like have the eyes cut out so you can like peek into something. Right, right. Do you have a secret room in your dollhouse? I will. I'm going to have a little cubby in there, which is where I'm going to keep an heirloom. Thinking about, you know, the, the Cape Cod house. I'd like to do something similar with this dollhouse because I'm going to be giving it to my grandchildren <laughs> whenever that comes to fruition. I'd really like to leave some secrets in there for them to solve little puzzles within the house. There is going to be a room that you won't be able to see because it'll be boarded up. You won't be able to see until you solve a puzzle and then a little peephole will open up so you can look inside. Again, I've always dreamed as a kid, I would watch, you know, things like the Goonies or these stories about kids who go into an attic and they find the most amazing things just up in the attic. Oh, yeah you have to start the mystery early. I envision this thing where I can hide this dollhouse in the future in one of these rooms. So this Cape house is the first of, I hope, you know, portfolio of houses that 
we have. So I'd like to hide this house in another house uh, where they would have to solve the puzzles to find it. It's like you're creating your own little time capsules of art. Totally. And I think of all the things that are going on right now, the social issues that, that we're dealing with, encapsulating that in this house and then teaching them. A few years ago, there was this challenge of what if it's like a thousand years from now and you're trying to tell somebody not to go into a certain area because it is super radioactive and maybe language is different. How are you able to communicate with people of the future from the past? And this is definitely parsed down from that concept, but I think about how can I take this moment this thing that's happening in real time right now and tell a story that's not in the book, but with something more interactive for grandchildren, great-grandchildren, really people in, in my family in the future that can find this and spark their imagination and get them excited to learn about history and why it's really important that we remember these things because it affects our present. I never had the pleasure of being passed on a dollhouse. Me neither. I talk to a lot of people who have because they reach out to me and they say, my grandmother, great grandmother just, you know, passed away and left me a dollhouse and I really want to make it up. I didn't have the pleasure of that. And I always wonder what would that be like as someone in, in the family to get an heirloom like that and be able to keep it in the family? I didn't have that pleasure either, but I've interviewed quite a few of those people and I have to tell you, it seems really, really great. It's really special. One of the things I think about is I'm making all these dollhouses now and I, I'm like, wow, well, my grandchildren will have something that I can pass on. Full dollhouse is really just such, such a gift. I actually, I put my hair, I put a lock of my hair behind a miniature painting. It's the romanticism of finding something like that. That's a really good idea. What are you going to be for Halloween in Nantucket? We were thinking about that. So we went to Spirit of Halloween and <laughs> the, the, the biggest thing I left with when we left Spirit was I feel very old. <laughs> like there's nothing in Spirit for me anymore. I feel it's for 20 year olds, right? There's this stigma around Halloween that, oh, I'm too old for Halloween or oh, I'm too old for trick-or-treating. And I've never wanted to feel that. And this was the first year I kind of felt that. And I was like, no, I'm fighting against it. I'm like, I'm not going to feel this. This is, this is not going to happen. You have to fight it. You're not too old for that. I do think you get to a point, and, and you're not there, but you do get to a point where, you know, sexy nurse, sexy John Oliver, you know, everything's <laughs> No, that's what I mean, I guess. I'm in the age range now, I think, where I, like, I want to be classy. So I haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah, my husband immediately found a pineapple costume. was like, that's for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I like the classics, like a witch, maybe. I think you kind of need to return to some of those. Yeah. Last year, my husband and I were Vikings, and that was actually kind of fun. I like that. Oh, I really like that. I tend to focus more on decor, I think, than costume. But since I'm not doing these parties, now I'm like trying to figure out what I'm going to be, you know, and dress up as. My dogs already have costumes. Of course they do. (laughs) So I have two little black pugs and Pickles, who I'm holding right now, who if you hear her uh, snoring, that's Pickles. I was going to say, listeners, I think you can hear Pickles snoring. (laughs) She's wheezing and snoring. That's not me. I'm not that old. I know, it's Pickles. Yeah, she's snoring. So Pickles is going to be a little scorpion. Um, and then Olive, my other pug, is going to be a little pumpkin. A little pumpkin and scorpion. Ziggy has a little shark costume. A scorpion because it's a black costume. And 
pugtails curl and little scorpion tail is so cute and it curls up. It's so cute. I love it. So I wanted to ask you about your new project with MGM that you just got an email out of the blue for. Yeah. Oh, for the Adams Family. I'm so excited about it. The second movie is coming out, the animated movie of the Adams Family. So yeah, they reached out to me and they asked if I would be open and interested in making a little something to promote the movie. I'm a huge Adams Family nerd. I love Adams Family so much. I had all of the VHSs like way back in the day, right? Like the old, the old black and white show. Oh, that show was so great with Cousin It and it's a classic. It was very influential on, on my little budding brain, you know, like to, to get into the spooky world. I was absolutely thrilled and very flattered that they asked if I would make something. So I'm making like a little vignette of Socrates, which is Wednesday Adams' pet octopus that she keeps in her dollhouse. Oh. He has like a little bed in there. So it's Socrates inking the bed. He's going to look like he's scared, right? <laughs> like we'll, he's spooked out and uh, he'll have ink the bed. Okay, that kind of reminds me. When we were sailing with my friends, we came into dock and there was a sign that said no recreational squidding. <laughs> what? No recreational squidding. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> what? I Googled it. I still don't know what it means. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like that. That's a weird sign. When you go to Nantucket, maybe you could ask about that. Maybe they would know. I should. Yeah. I'm so excited. So we're, we're going out to Cape Cod end of October and staying about four or five weeks. I really love it out there off season, like right when it's like October, November, and it's starting to get a little colder and the crowds are starting to dissipate a little. It's a little bit of a bummer because I love the on season, like little fried food shacks that they have out there that close. But I really, really love off season. You watch American Horror Story? A little bit. They came out recently uh, with the show is based in Cape Cod off season and there's lots of vampires. Really good this season. I'm really enjoying it. You should watch. Yeah, I haven't watched this season. You know, I feel like some seasons are better than others. Oh, yeah, no, completely 100% agree. This one is a really, really good season. And it's wild when I um, would make my Halloween parties, I would make up a, a theme and then I would go really hard in the theme. And then all of a sudden, American Horror Story would be the same theme that year. And it would it would boggle my mind. Like, how? So I'm like, this year, they won't get it because I'm not doing a party. I'm just going to Cape Cod. <laughs> and then they came out with this Cape Cod show. And I just thought that was so funny. That means that you're one of those like trend forecasters. You always know what's next. <laughs> Yeah, in the spooky world. There you go. I'll take it. Yeah, I guess my parties don't have so much theme as, you know, everyone comes as different things. It's funny. My friends have asked me in the past, they're like, are you hiring actors to come to your party? Because I have photos of the costumes. Right. I make the themed decor and then I figure out how I can get my friends to dress the part so it could go well with my decor. <laughs> the food is also such a fun part of it. My favorite thing to make, so I make shrimp brains that like look like actual brain, like when you put it into oh. a brain mold and you use gelatin and cayenne. I love that. But the thing that I love making so much is it looks like intestines, but it's made, I know, it's made with pastry and brie and, and some pears and a little bit of uh, like raspberry compote. But the way that you arrange it, 
it makes it look like intestines. So I love making spooky food. It's so fun. And I feel like there's so many creatives out there. Like right now on TikTok, especially there's a lot of Halloween food creators, you should go take a look they they create some of the most interesting like disgusting looking but really delicious stuff i will have to i did finally get one of those pans with the skulls in it and i make skull calzones with them Ooh, fun i like it those are really fun i have to admit i like my halloween a little on the glam side Ooh. i have a five foot glitter coffin <laughs> you really i do really where do you keep it? In the basement. Oh my God, I love it. When do you bring it out? When do you crack it out? Pretty soon. A little gothic glam. There, that's what we'll call it. Gothic glam. Yep, I'm into it. Yeah. So when will we get to see your Wednesday Adam creation? Building it right now and you can see it on, on Instagram in my stories. I'm such an overshare, honestly. Like I can't keep any secrets <laughs> at all. At all, I show my entire build of absolutely everything, and I put them all in my story highlights. So, I like that though. Like, I love your candle tutorial, and I love all the things you show. Oh, cool! I love that you share how you do it. Now, I do want to ask you how you do your spider web. So, spider webs. I am a spider web snob, <laughs> and yours really are the best, the best of the best. So the spiderweb snobbery really came from the Halloween decoration, like the the big scale stuff. Oh, yeah. Those are terrible. The ones you buy at like the, the party store. They're so bad. So you can use those. It's just application and how you use it. And I think people like tend to clump and drape where you should really spread them, right? Because you want the wispy look. I have been exploring different techniques of how you can make it look really natural, right? So what I found, Green Stuff World has something called spider serum that you can get and you'll need spider serum and an air gun and you just put it in your air gun and when it sprays it sprays all of the spider web out and then you can take a little paintbrush and uh, like a dry paintbrush and remove the excess but it's really thin it's really light as i'm building my things i'll do applications every once in a while because over time the you know the spider webs will start to kind of break down a little bit and it'll start to look more natural over time and it sticks in the places it should and goes away from the places it should. A lot of people I've seen use, uh, what do you call it, like hot glue gun, like the strings. Yeah, I tried that. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't work great. It doesn't look as realistic as this stuff. It's really easy. Um, and airbrush guns these days, they're really cheap. I think I got mine on Amazon for like $40. God, I remember when they were like hundreds of dollars. So you can get them for a pretty good price. It's really good to apply like even coats of paint on things and spider webs. There you go. So one thing I noticed is, you know, you have a lot of ripping, a lot of distressing. And then all of a sudden, there's these beautiful, precise parquet floors. I have PTSD from those things. <laughs> they take so long. I know you made them yourself, and they look like they took about a million years. I would say, like, you always try to figure out how you can cut corners, but with parquet floor, you really... There's no cutting corners. There's no cutting corners. Like, you are literally cutting corners, but you can't actually cut, cut any corners. you got to do it. And so what I found when I was first getting into this, and I was really enamored with some of these miniature makers flooring, you know, and so I reached out to several of them, and... Like, how the heck did you get this look? And some, I forget who it was. And I, I hate that I forget because I always love mentioning who it was that taught me these things. This is so long ago. 
but she mentioned she was using wood veneer like guitar wood veneer and I found a ton of these different wood veneer strips which are all like hardwood so you can get like actual mahogany or you know actual maple actual zebra all that stuff so I bought a bunch of those and they have like almost a fabricy paper backing so when you cut them they don't flake oh that's nice yeah so they're strips and then I got the chopper which was honestly if I didn't have the chopper I don't know how I would have done this at all and then you know made the pattern but I really wanted it to showcase the grain of the wood like the natural grain of it so when I was diving into this I'm like it's fine it's just shapes and I was like oh but the grain has to go a certain way because if you look at it this way it's this it's a completely different color versus the other absolutely yeah but there's you know Pinterest I, I go to Pinterest and I look up a bunch of patterns and kind of invent something that goes with the the area I didn't really want to stain anything. I wanted it all to be, you know, actual real wood that all you had to do was kind of polish. But just the precision. I mean, if you're off by even a little, I know. You're working in millimeters at that point. You really are. So, exacto knives are your best friends, but it took me a week to do the parquet flooring in my in my library. But I mean, this is like hours and hours. So I'd be like on a call, like in a meeting, like cutting parquet floor. <laughs> I, I found that if I can't get something done like that in a week, then it's, it's taking too long. <laughs> it just kind of- You lose momentum. Yeah. When I look at the room and I think of, you know, what are the major things that I want to give a lot of attention to? And then like, what are some of the things that I can cut some corners or not be as detailed? in and so like the library is like I really want the ceiling and the floor to be like super top notch and I want them to be highlighted and then everything else can kind of fall into place design works best when there are a couple of features if you have a feature wall and a feature floor and a feature whatever then it's hard to know where to look it's overwhelming i got the dollhouse as a kit i was quarantining and how i kind of entered the miniature space is there's this incredible creator. Her name is Lady L- Lady Delaney. Oh, I love her. Isn't she amazing? She's incredible. And so I, you know, I'm really into like Curio and like Wondercom or Oddities stuff. And I think I was like on Etsy and I, I was looking up oddities to put in my real shelf. And I came across a miniature oddities, a Curio cabinet that she had made. It was like $100, $100 $150. And I was like, that's before I really got into the miniature world, I was like, that's expensive, but <laughs> I'll, I'll get into it. It's like nothing compared to like what I've spent, I guess, at this point. But I got this thing and she had everything all wrapped up and all labeled. And then she had these little how-to flyers to like make all the things in this oddity shelf. So I started making that and I was like, oh, I, I want to make a whole oddities cabinet out of like miniature oddities cabinets. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't go that route because I saw my dollhouse kit online. Maybe I'll do a whole dollhouse. It'll be it'll be fantastic. Just a couple months worth of stuff, I'm sure. Little did I know it's it's taking me years <laughs> to make this dollhouse. Almost two years. When people ask me, like, where should they start? You know, I think about my experience. I'm like, well, I got into, you know, the dollhouse world, not realizing that I'm I'm biting off a really big chunk. I think I have 10 rooms in this dollhouse. It's the Beacon Hill dollhouse I'm making. So I always recommend start with a, a room box to keep it small, because it can be overwhelming. I'm very proud that I'm sticking to it, to be honest, because I flip with my obsessions, but I've stuck with it and it's kept me going. 
Here's the question I have for you. Do you still just have one dollhouse after a year and a half? Yes, just one. Okay, listeners. And (laughs) I've only done maybe three rooms and they're not all done. (laughs) So you are the first guest that I have interviewed that has only one dollhouse. The rest, really? Oh, yes. I mean, the rest of us by a year. <laughs> You're like ready for something else. Yeah. Well, no, it's not that. Most of us have. Okay. Most of us have maybe five. Oh, my God. Five seems to be a very average number. And after seven, people kind of go to the room boxes because, you know, there's a limit. <laughs> So when I got one, I thought, you know, maybe in a year or two, I'll get another one. Like two weeks later, you know, we were at this place and it was this big dollhouse store and they didn't have anything where I live. So we put it in the trunk and drove it home from Colorado. And then after that, I think I've told this story before. Dollhouses just keep showing up. I've been gifted them. (laughs) People call me and say, will you get this? And today, listeners, this is a new story because today a friend of mine said, my neighbor is throwing away a dollhouse in the trash. Do you want me to rescue it? Like, of course. Did I say no? No, listeners, I did not. (laughs) I did not say no. So I actually think you were to be applauded for your discipline. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I had no idea. That's wild. Well, maybe it's because I live in San Francisco and we don't have room for five dollhouses. <laughs> I'm so new to this world. I am too. Yeah. And it's a really interesting one, isn't it? The things that people know and the, the things that people do is just really neat. We all have the things that we enjoy doing and you kind of realize your limitations. Yeah, I've, I've been talking with a couple of people about this because when I think about, you know, I would really like to show this dollhouse at some point. In like a gallery, you know, just share it with people. I don't do everything in my dollhouse. I commission a lot of things. I think about with an art piece like a dollhouse, at what degree should you be doing all of the things within it? What I really like about the miniature scene is that everyone has their strengths and we've all been able to come together and support each other by buying the things that uh, each of us are, are so good at doing and all of our dollhouses become so much better for it, right? Right. Even in miniature museums, there's a history of, you know, you go to a miniature museum, there's several different collaborators that have done things. I mean, I, I think that's to be expected. Yeah. Your work is so unique. Do you think like you'll do another dollhouse and it'll be like totally different? Yeah. So I'm thinking of that lighthouse. I'll probably do a lighthouse. And I think about that and I'm like, you know, I, it's just going to take me probably another couple of years just with the detail that I want to put into it. So I'm drawing it out. I'm having a really good time with it. We'll see. My last question is about TikTok. So I I have not joined the TikTok bandwagon. I've just been so in love with how nice everyone is on Instagram. So is, are people nice on TikTok? People are so nice on TikTok. So TikTok, um, you know, they have their algorithms, which are brilliant. When you use TikTok, what you see is the world that you want to see. Okay. So the TikTok that I found myself in is a very, very kind, supportive, loving world. And so I feel like you're going to have your trolls anywhere that you go. But for the most part, 99% of the time, people are very supportive. And it's a really great place for creators to be, especially right now, because being an artist, it's hard. It's, it's hard to, to break out to like get folks to, to look at your stuff and engage. It's tricky. TikTok, they really match you uh, with people that are into your little slice of weird 
So I, I do recommend TikTok. Yeah, it's a good place. Oh, good. And I got to say, like Gen Z, I'm finding them to be very progressive, kind, fun people. I'm an elder millennial, right? But uh, like, what are these kids going to say? They're very open and very sweet, sweet kids. So you're going to have a lot of Gen Z on there, but they're, um, they're very sweet. Yeah, I like Gen Z. I think my kids might be Gen Z. <laughs> It's really fun too to watch them discover new, you know, quote, new things. They're like, oh, wow, I didn't, like, <laughs> you're like, yeah, like, I lived that, but we could rediscover that if you want. That's fun. That's funny. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm in with, with the kids. The kids think I'm cool, which makes me feel very cool. So, well, everybody wants to be with the cool kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I recommend it. TikTok's been fun. Well, I'll have to check it out. Well, thanks for all the tips. And I'm going to try some of those cool spider webs and we'll see if that adds a little gothic flair to my house. Cool. And I'm really excited to see what you do for Halloween. Oh, yes. I'll be showing everyone that, I guess. <laughs> now I feel like I really have to come up with something good. <laughs> Becky, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much. I loved it, too. Have a great day. Thank you. You, too. Bye. Bye. I hope you received some inspiration for your spooky miniatures from Lauren. You can find her on Instagram at Southern Gothic Dollhouse. My next episode is on Tuesday, November 2nd, and it is not to be missed. I am talking to William R. Robertson, whose contribution to the fine arts miniature world is legendary. He has been making fine arts miniatures since his early 20s. He is especially well known for making miniature tools and working miniatures. Not only is his work featured in numerous museums, but he's also designed museum exhibits and miniature museums. You can find him on Instagram at WMR Robertson Miniatures. So mark November 2nd on your calendar and join me while I talk to this extraordinary miniaturist. In the meantime, check out my Instagram at dollhouse underscore flair. And remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except those you create for yourself. Goodbye.